Steve, welcome to the Laughing Monkey Music Show. Taylor and Malcolm Bruce, how are you? I'm really well, Sean. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you're on the... your promo- the, mo- the monkey, the Laughing Monkey. <laughs> you're you're in. Yes, uh, absolutely. England, right? That's where you're calling from today, or zooming from. I'm in, Yeah, I'm in. I'm in uh, North London, as we say. Uh, there is a difference between North London and South London. Um, so there you go. Like if I was in South London, I'd say I'm from South London. If I'm from North London, I'd say I'm from North London. So uh, we, have, we have that too. I'm, I'm, from the, I'm from the North. I'm from the North. And I went to college, as you said earlier, before we talked in the South. And it was, it was a, a big difference. They, they say we talk fast yeah. up here. I'm like, we think fast. That's all. <laughs> well, you're if you're in like Connecticut, that's kind of, yeah. to me, that's, it is the North. But then there's mm-hmm. a vast expanse of, further north to where you are oh, yeah. up to us like new york albany and then all of that kind of stuff yeah i mean the u.s is a big country right i mean that's the incredible thing about it i, I hear that yeah it's pretty big. Compared, to everybody, compared to everybody else it feels like it's pretty big yeah it's you know? like it's like a series of countries within one country whereas you know we have europe i guess the uk although we've severed ourselves from europe recently but but we're still geographically part of it so you know we just kind of like the whole of Europe and the UK is like the same as the US. It, feel, it feels like to me, anyway. It, it, it used to feel like that. I'll be honest. Yeah, once the guys started the Brexit, everybody started cutting up the countries, and you need passes and this and that. I think it became kind of unfriendly for artists. I think it's equally unfriendly there for musicians that are traveling as it is for artists to come into America with taxes. Like it feels like nobody's working with the musicians for traveling anymore. I mean, it's very yes. I mean, for when I. I've I've spent a lot of time in the states working, and but I usually have this thing. It's called an O1R visa, so it's a you have to sort of petition the U.S. government, and and it used to be when I first started coming over, I would get it, be awarded it for three years, and and I could mm-hmm. develop my career. So I just say, "Hello, U.S. government. I'm a musician, and here's my the stuff I've done so far, and I'd like to develop my career in your wonderful country." And they say, "Okay, great. We'll stamp your passport, and you can come here in and out for three years, working as long as you pay your taxes." And um, and they have deals with taxes between the two countries and all that kind of stuff. But now you have to sort of, you have to kind of show exactly what you're doing and they only really give it to you. So, you know, you have to book a whole tour in advance and then submit that and they'll give it to you sort of for that period of time. So it's really much more complex in that sense. It's less user-friendly. I don't know why it's they've expensive timed too. up. Yeah. Oh man, yeah. it's like three, four grand each time. Yeah. Yep. So. And if you do paperwork and you get the whole band over, and then you guys get taxed in, and your merchants tax in, and then it gets taxed out. And I always tell people, yep. any country or, or or American, if you got a band you like playing, go see them, go see them, support them because it's a dying breed and it's it's not the same anymore. Yeah. It's, it's even more of a challenge financially. Some bands just come over and tour even over here just if so they can break even, just to get the exposure to their fans. It's not even so much about you know, the big bucks anymore. It's just that they can just break even, make a couple of bucks, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, there's those different levels of the industry. Obviously there are, there is still lots of money to be made, but it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, you know, but those are the, these are the fundamental questions about life right now. You know, are we, you know, we're living in a kind of uh, capitalist society where we've just all got to compete or do, is there a bit more of a breathing space for art? It's, you know, those are fundamental questions, I guess, that have always been about, surrounding creativity in in that sense you know um because artists just want to make art and they want to be accepted for that and and have a 
a forum for being heard within their creativity, but then suddenly it's like you're compromise. You you might have to compromise your creativity to get on in the business because the business side of it. Uh, you always have to. I think if once you make a dollar, once somebody hands you a dollar bill, you yeah. have to compromise yourself somewhere. Somewhere. Which was that first that first records. That first record's amazing, and then the industry gets hold of it, and by the second and third rec record, it's churning out sort of generic music just so that they can go ka-ching i suppose yeah i mean i'm not saying that's the guy no 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 if you it's all that's the problem it's, you know or or the um band creates something great and then the rest of the band members want to be part of it because they see the money and then the band sound yeah. changes because the guy's like all right you guys can write songs with me it was like it's not the same album he's like well i'm trying to be a band team player and everyone's writing it and it was me writing this before so there's so many like different dynamics to it also where it's just the internal the external and speak, and this is yes. be a good lead because what we're promoting today, um, your your dad, well known. You want to as, as, talk about me? So this album we're actually doing is Heavenly Cream, an yeah. acoustic tribute album. Jack Bruce, fantastic musician, and as I learned from hearing this album and learning back, you yourself is a are a talented, multi instrumentalist musician yourself. So people know we will be back with him on another day to go deeper into his stuff. But we got to promote this album today. So absolutely. Well, we're not further about it. It's been yeah. Yeah. Well, it's been a long time in the making. We started this record, Heavenly Cream, um, at the end of 2017. Um, and it was Pete Brown who was one of the chief uh lyricists for the band Cream back in the sixties. Mm -hmm. He started the project off with uh, the label Quarter Valley and then brought me in and um rob cast the producer mark waters who's a shot uh a making of feature-length documentary that's being released at the same time as the the album and it was all uh we we made the record in abbey road so it was a really really special um experience for all of us and you know we just had some wonderful people on the record joe bonamassa paul rogers ginger baker uh maggie bell from stone the crows deborah bonham who is john bonham's sister bobby rush who is a legendary um, singer um, in from your country. Um, yep. So yeah, just think lots and lots of Bernie Mars and, and uh, Neil Murray from yeah. White Snake, um, and the list goes on. So yes, it it was really exciting um, to put it all together, and quite a big task, really. The the, the concept of like. The album, like where did it had to come from? Somebody was it, was the label just like big cream fans, and then from there it just expanded. They started reaching out and grabbing pieces and parts and saying, "This would go here like a puzzle," or was there like a master plan? Yeah, I mean, I think it was as I say, it was Pete Brown was uh, he was talking to the record label about his. He, there's actually a a documentary about Pete Brown's life um, called White Rooms and Imaginary Westerns, which still hasn't been released but that's a whole separate thing talking about um pete brown's life in music and as a as a poet and as a songwriter and a lyricist and that's you know cool. my dad or all the guys from cream so my dad eric clapton and ginger baker they're all interviewed in this documentary and martin scorsese is in the documentary because scorsese has always used cream songs um in his yeah. movies usually at the most gruesome moment where somebody's you know going ah, 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 or something you know joe pesci's stabbing someone in the eye with a pencil or whatever it is um so so that they were talking about that documentary um 
but then they I think they sort of started discussing how about we do a new project a, a, a tribute to cream and rather than do the kind of um obvious thing which would be just versions of the songs why don't we right. do an acoustic version because um that hasn't really been done before and wh and when we say acoustic it's not like singer songwriter acoustic which you know i love that genre it's but it's not no like but it's important to point out because i was going to point that out too because when i first read that when i got, when I got this said to me yes, i said acoustic i was like thought. i was a little nervous a little anxious because yeah yeah like, you know there's uh, a guy in the corner playing a djembe and no it's not which like is not that. bad like when people do re reimagining but for me i'm like there are certain parts of of cream's music that has to be a certain way to me you know and i'm not yeah. hardcore about everything but there's certain things that are just like my favorite parts of the song i mean you can't take everything out <laughs> absolutely well it's riff based uh blues rock music so you can't right. really kind of just go okay i'm gonna i mean the, the, a song is a song and you can arrange it in all kinds of ways but but i think it is important to point out you know this is a a fully orchestrated oh yeah yeah but you know, with the proviso that we weren't allowed to play an electric instrument, so um, but you know, it's got horn arrangements, it's got uh, drums, bass, guitar, vocals, um, piano, uh, and Abbas Dodu, who's who's an amazing um, African Ghanaian percussionist. He's playing on mm -hmm. a lot of the tracks as well. So, so yes, it's really fleshed out and full sounding, but but not an electric instrument inside. So, for you now becoming part of it, do is there a? I always think it's hard. I talk to a lot of musicians who are it's in a family, but they also have people on the outside. I, I don't know if it's gotten better being the son or an artist of an artist that's famous. It's like because you're starting out, you're your own person, and right, you're a great musician, but you, your father in any field has always started out somewhere else. Like it's almost like you're already, no matter what you do, he's not good enough or he's good enough. I mean, I talk to Dweezil Zalva, I do stuff with him, they compare him to Frank all the time. They're both fantastic musicians. It's not even fair to compare musicians like that. But then doing an album on top of it, was that even more of a like, you're like, well. Well, I mean, I think Dweezil, you know, he's a great example of that because he's a yeah. fantastic musician, guitarist, but he sort of embraced it as well, right? He's been touring. Oh, he's owned it. He actually took time to relearn it. Learn it, yeah. Learn it. Learn it. Stop playing um, guitar. He learned and, it backwards again. Just to look. Yeah. And, I mean, he did, you know, and he's done it marvelously, very successfully. I've seen mm -hmm. uh you know, I haven't seen it live, but I've seen stuff and it's it's wonderful. Um, but he's also does his own thing. And yep. and I think it's just I think it is a challenge when you have a parent that's so uh, successful to find your own way. Um, but so it's a balance you, you want to embrace um, and, you know, pay tribute, pay homage to your 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 parent which is what we all do but at the same time I mean it's I feel like even though I'm not 12 anymore I'm I feel like I'm just beginning I'm just starting out and mm -hmm. I'm I'm exploring and finding ways and you know as you mentioned I've, I've got a record that I'm working on at the moment that's going to come out next year and I want to make a big splash with it um and you know learning how the industry works all of those things it's a crazy time right in the world it's uh, mm -hmm. a crazy time across the board in the world things are sustained you know credit is sustaining things but the world is all kind of fluctuating and um, there's a lot of instability. So we have to find stability within ourselves, I suppose that's, and then project that and to each other. Um, so we, it's, a, you know, it's a music industry is a microcosm of 
the same kind of energy in the world. So, so it's nice to have tradition and history and sort of hold on to those things. And I think, you know, I think um, Cream was such a wonderful band. Uh, they created some wonderful music, and so it's 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 nice to pay tribute to them. Uh, but I I think at the same time I don't want to do that for the rest of my life. No, you shouldn't have to. Up, but, but I think this record is a special thing because it's not really. I played a very much a supportive role in it. It's not about me putting myself in the front at all. But you fact, are singing, right? Is it, was it track four, right? Track I'm singing, four, singing on one track. I, um, uh, we're going wrong. I'm trying to look at the number here. We're going right. wrong, yeah. But, I mean, oh, that is it, so good. That's like one of my favorite tracks, actually. It's yeah. I mean, but but in a sense, I didn't even really want to do that. I just, you know, I'm kind of, I wanted to be a supportive person in this project, and I think we did really well. We got a really nice group of uh, musicians that all made sense for the record. That you know, a lot of them had a connection. You know, even Joe Bonamassa, in the sense that he. Is, oh yeah. He is at the pinnacle of the blues rock tradition in content the contemporary sense. You know, he's kind of the the guy now, the guitar player in that world, um, that's had that level of success. So for him, it's nice for us that he sort of gives Cream a nod at this point in time. Although he worked, he did do a show with my dad, and and he's done stuff with Eric, I think as well. So you know, it kind of fulfilled, you know, completed the circle for him Full to circle. do a, yeah. tracks with with Ginger. Um, so yes, I mean, I think it's just really nice to get this out there and it's different. It's not, you know, we have the original recordings uh, and many live shows from the band, you know, they were, it's 1966 to 68. So it's almost like coming up to 60 years or whatever. So, you know, it's, it's crazy, isn't it? Um, but so we've got all of that stuff and I don't think it's necessary to compete with it because it's, so so good um it, you know there's no point it's not like we can improve it it's already perfectly formed so this is you know this is a, a fun way of paying tribute just uh taking a different approach and i think we did okay i think yeah, i did great and i think but I, I think i like the fact you did sing on and you did put different instruments because i like i get to hear your voice and i got to hear how it fits and that song actually has a little bit more of a different imprint on it too has a different feeling on it which i kind of like actually it feels like to me that kind of stuff's a little bit to the side. It keeps it honors it, but of some of the songs, it feels like it has a little yeah. bit more of a of a feeling in it than a hundred percent going straight down the road, doing a you know. And, and I don't think also you're competing with music. I, I, sports sports is competing. I think with music you can do it honor. You can do different versions of it. You do it because you enjoy it. Hopefully, you're not doing it for the record label, <laughs> or you're re-recording your music to get your rights back because the record label took off <laughs> the first album. But but generally you're doing it because you love it. You know, no, I think I think maybe I think there's a bit of a, a kind of testosterone element to rock music, you know, the blues rock thing, you know, with guitar yeah, players yeah. and and wailing vocalists. And I mean, that's it's gorgeous. You know, I, I mean, testosterone is an important aspect of the humanity, you know, without it, we wouldn't be very far. But um, because it but, you know, that's very much perhaps put to the side in this record it's much more mm -hmm. sensitive and about the songs rather than wailing guitar solos and and yeah i think that's what i meant that cream's music along with a, a lot of the other classic rock bands of that time when you play those songs and i have many times live you just you can really get into some uh heavy exploration um so this is a bit different. This is more just um, 
really kind of uh, the kind of shape of the songs and the, the sensitivity of sensitivity within the orchestration and things like that. So yes, I mean, We're Going Wrong is an interesting example. It's an incredibly simple song, but there's so much within it, you know, um, that we can bring out just with dynamics and um, the instrumentation. So yeah, it's exciting. very, very moody. It's a very moody song. It's very uh, emotional. I think you hear it. It sounds great. It sounds even better in headphones. I think the album sounds good in headphones. I mean, I think, you know, my test is always like, does it sound good in earbuds? Does it sound good in my good headphones? Does it sound good if I'm mowing the yard, if I'm driving the car? Like, what's the, where does this music find place in my life? Because there's always music somewhere, you know, but if you do all the different testing on it, you can really kind of tell like where the album falls, you know what I mean? Sonically, if you can hear it and enjoy it everywhere, it's, it's produced well, because it's hard to balance out for all speakers. Um, I think this album yes. does good on that, you know? It, it it sounds great. Well, I mean, we're really cool. lucky to be in, lucky to be in um, Abbey Road. I mean, that's just, it does have that iconic sound. The actual rooms sound a certain way. As we were in, we weren't in the big room, Studio One, but we were in Studio Two and Studio Three. Um, so the Beatles Studio and the other one, um, and certainly the Beatles that the Beatles room um, has a sonic depth to it I guess so you can uh, whenever I hear something that's recorded in that room you can sort of hear I mean that to me is what great recording can be obviously there's lots of different approaches to um, production but but um, you know we tend to think oh I've got a laptop and I can sample use samples and I can do this and I can emulate things but when you actually get in a room and Abbey Road is a great example of that but of course there are many great studios when you're in a room if you know how to mic use mic placement you can create that sort of depth and then if you can capture that and maintain it through a mix that to me that makes a record special but you're right some in a certain situation you might be listening to it and you think i can't hear any of that depth and then in another situation suddenly all of that depth comes out and compression has a lot to do with that right how how different something might sound on the radio or like, you know, I've done a couple of these podcasts over the last few weeks and people have, you know, put a song up and I'm hearing it from another person's point of view because they are putting it into their sound system and they might be compressing it to balance with the the uh, talking or whatever. Yeah, it's just very interesting, yeah. all of that stuff. I, I remember, especially when I was working in a studio, the first thing you do is we would make something, we'd mix it down, and you go out to the car and play it in the car, and then go back out and go in. Because it's usually the best test, especially when you're in rock, the 90s, because you're like, does it sound good in the car? Because that's generally the, the main spot people want to yes. hear it, you know? Yeah. That's what the, the mixing also test those, is. Um, the little, uh, you know, the the, tw- the two-inch tape machines, the 24-track yeah. machines, some of them will have the little speaker in the bottom as well, like yeah. just a little sort of crappy little speaker so yeah i mean that's a good test as well it, it, you know and it's that, funny that would be that would be, so that would be the test like a, 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 a crappy song with a really good mixture would be could be you kind of make it better with a good production a really good song with a bad production can't take away from it but when you get a good good song like a beatles song and a good thing like this abbey road just an easy example for people then it just explodes when you can do it i mean yeah you can't do everything on your laptop you can do a lot on your laptop can't do everything on your laptop, especially drums. And especially if you can get in a room with people, it's even better. There's a feeling, there's something that it's energy that you don't get. You know, I don't think, you know, 
Yeah, I mean, I think we still haven't beaten, you know, uh, I mean, this is an opinion that's probably shared by a great many people, but I think that if you track with a Neve, you track with Neve preamps. So 1081 mm -hmm. has that kind of mid, uh, mid frequency EQ that's so unique sounding. So if you track or a 10, you know, 1073 or 1081 preamp, um, and then you mix on an SSL, <laughs> like that's the sound of a record, really. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, we haven't, of course, there are APIs and all different kinds of things as well, but which are also amazing. But um, but really, that Neve SSL sound is we haven't beaten that yet in in terms of sonics, in terms of the what we can create, in terms of uh, you know detail and um the detail in the sonic spectrum or however you want to describe it so um so yes i mean we can emulate that i've got pro tools myself and i've got lots of plugins <laughs> and they're really good stuff. but and, and but and yeah, because, I've got it's all cost that. effective and stuff too and the equipment's not out there anymore so you can't get pretty close to it and yeah. um, i i think and this actually says we talked earlier before the show break the fourth wall with scorsese and, and like the music of cream there's something very um, in the music, the sound is so rich and deep. And when the Scorsese's songs, I mean, the movies are very, also very deep. So they really hold well to each other. So the recordings, the quality back then was done a certain way and it holds to a timepiece. And also this, you hear the music of when you think of a certain time period, you know, of the 60s and 70s, and it feels like very powerful. And it feels like you hear, you feel like, it's like it's a seventies, right? It's something you can feel it's gonna change. You feel the change in the music. Like you just feel like everything's exciting and on the cusp. Well, I do, I do. But but so when you hear that in a movie, it kind of brings the extra with you, you know? And the production's a big part of that. No, and I think I mean all to me, all great movie making of that nature, you can do so much with with um songs. And I mean, I was just off the top of my head, I'm thinking the movie Blow with Johnny Depp. Yeah. because it's such an amazingly interesting movie it's not a perfect movie but um but that kind of era of uh, a, a a drug dealer dealing marijuana and then it moves into this the cocaine era and the music Doesn't shifts it? and suddenly they're all you know it's like the physicality of it changes from like, hey, we're in the 60s and, you know, smoking weed to like, hey, we're really all completely uptight. Listen, you know, kind of uh, <laughs> jittery. <laughs> so, um, I mean, it's incredibly effective how music can set the scene, as you say, in different eras. And as we now have a little bit more space between the birth of the recorded you know, early recorded music or popular recorded music. We've got quite a lot to choose from. And I think, yes, it's, it is fascinating what you can do. As I say that, I, I think to myself, I'm like, you know what? I don't know if there's like a lot of songs that are picking music from the, it's not a dig towards it, but like past the, some of the bigger bands in nineties, like your Nirvana's and Soundgarden and stuff, but a lot of the other bands you might hear songs and movies, but that's, but the nineties is a weird, was weird for music. It also was so weird for clothes. Um, <laughs> These giant pants are so crazy. Um, <laughs> I was just saying about those. Like, every time I think about it, I get oh, the jeans. for a minute. The jeans yeah, are... those, those crazy jeans, yeah. But yeah. but I guess what I'm saying is the the music doesn't, I don't think there's like a music of that era because there's like so much different stuff. Like everything was finding itself and you were throwing it against the wall. 
80s, you would hear like for metal or rock, and like for 70s, you hear that, and you think of cream, and the 50s and 60s, like doo wop, and then you can think of like the Vietnam, the music, and like there's all kinds of stuff going on, and Stones and Beatles. But like, you know, mid to late 90s, you're like in 2000s, I can't think of a music that's kind of jumping out. If I heard it in a music, I'd be hearing, oh, I know that song, but I don't feel a generation like. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, maybe. I mean, I always think of maybe um, bands like Radiohead, uh, for me anyway, you know, that would, I would say like. Early 90s for me. Yeah, I sort of became aware of bands like Radiohead. um, But you're right. I think the 80s is very definitive. It has a sound, right? It has a, very much has a sound. Uh, It's that early uh, music technology that was you know, sequences, Roland sequences and Yamaha DX7. And I'm going to get all technical here, but, you know, um, these kinds of instruments that had, even though they were really horrible in a sense, you know, because they were kind of early digital technology, but they still had a personality. Um, And we've grown to love them, even though it's like, wow, that DX7 piano sound or whatever it was i can't even it's every album i know right but but it's, it's even, even, even yeah even radiohead that would i think is even earlier on i don't think i think they've gotten big over time but to me that's when i first saw them earlier on so mm-hmm. it's still a time period for me and, and maybe because generationally it's different for me like people may have a certain grunge or new wave or whatever it might be for them but i'm talking yeah. big big movies that you know we watch generationally now i don't know that be like a rom-com or something nowadays. I don't know if there's a... Is there another Scorsese anyhow coming out to do next big generational movie like, you know what I mean? Yes. No, but I think we've moved... We have moved into a different era. Um, it's like postmodernism, and And, you know, postmodernism is not modernism. I mean, you can look at... You could look at the classical music tradition in a similar way, you know, so... Yeah and jazz as well you know i think we're only at the beginning of everything but we're now faced with a lot of questions uh unanswered questions about technology about artificial intelligence you know we've been using artificial intelligence forever you know a, a pen i guess a pencil might be you know a piece of paper you know it's artificially I, manifested. i was going to say I mean, the people running record labels would be artificial intelligence but that's just <laughs> well they're just lacking in <laughs> no um well not all of them but um you know what i mean is like as we're moving forward you know where are we going to head where right. i can you know i can write something into a computer and it will just do it all for me rather than having right. to have a skill but then We've, it's always been that dynamic between, you know, how can I, it's the end result that counts, you know, it's not, it's not, you know, that I've got 14 degrees, so you've got to take me seriously, mm-hmm. it doesn't, you know, it's the profundity of, it's the, the weight of the idea that matters, um, it's not the technical ability or the skill, or it's really just ideas when it comes down to it, that's what's important. Uh, especially as we kind of gain distance from things we yeah. the, the value of things is not based on a superficiality it's based on something real and authentic so i don't know if we start losing that sense if we go into transhumanism which looks like there's certainly a lot of entities that want us to move more into you know we've got zuckerberg talking about you know uh mixed reality 
is here to stay you know it's like okay so we're all going to wear a headset and we're going to start existing in sort of the virtual world and the real world i mean all of that's really fun but i think we have to be a little bit cautious because of uh you know our spirituality like our physiology our connection to self and what that means and how that affects our behaviors and and um you know art is a reflection of so many things i suppose uh, so it's I think people are burned out already. I, I was wondering. Yeah. I think there's, a, there's more pushback to that stuff that I, than I thought there was going to be, because like even Facebook, people are like, oh, like social media is already artificial reality is already is Facebook or Instagram with people share, because it's not real. Like everyone's already living false reality. So just seeing it like a movie, yeah. it's just another. Is an app? Is another device? Is a cost you got to pay for? You know, and you bring it back to music. It's that deflation of yeah, right. But how different is music now? Like you can say, like you could write something now and not have to play something. I could probably, I wouldn't on the air. I could name a hundred. I sat down a piece of paper at least artists that can't read music or can't do this kind of music, but they have some of the best songs, multi platinum. Yeah, but they still couldn't. So it wouldn't yeah, make yeah. a difference now or then. The artists, a lot of these artists, make their money. They have make it touring, or. Now they've opened their own label, their own thing, and they, they service a thousand people instead of a hundred thousand, and they're making more money. So they weren't making any good money back then either, except for the handful of artists like now. So there still is that uneven dynamic of the artists not getting paid, just like back in the day, except there's more contracts. You could advertise more, there's less people to compete with, but the contract was so weird. And and the skill level's kind of the same, but now it's just more technology to, to sort through, to deep dive. And then to compete to get it out there because everyone's on this on the box yelling. But it yeah, and it's oversaturation. Over it's oversaturation, and I think artists. The the assumption is that artists are going to spend two, three, four hours every day doing social media, doing self promotion on on social media, posting things, posting them to something else, and then re replying to people that are writing underneath those things, and then you're competing with artificial intelligence that's spreading all of that for artists that have got bigger budgets than you and and it's just it becomes it's got nothing to do with the creative process right. anymore um so so you know finding the time to be creative and to have the freedom in one's mind and heart to not be stressed out about money and all that so you know the again going back to you know the fundamental thing of like what is this experience that we're going through and what you know, is it that we should all just be competing? But what are we competing for at this point anyway? You know, like if it was a simpler time, and it was like, okay, who can write the better song? Who can write the song that's more appealing, that's got more of a universal appeal? And, and you know, then the record company goes, wow, we really like that. We're going to get behind it. But And there's still that infrastructure up to a point, but a lot of it's disappeared. And it's just now who's got enough money? It's got very little to do with the skill or the creativity it's got everything to do with who's got the bigger budget to push everything out the way right. and just take over corner of the market and um so you've got these huge artists and they're not bad i mean who's to say you know taylor swift or ed sheeran or um all of these kind of artists that are huge global stars they're great but there isn't any middle the, the middle ground has disappeared right right because it's just either superstar or you're nothing yeah right and um but also just the the what is creativity you know it's like this generic stuff that that fills up space or maybe like let's hold back a bit and actually have what are we saying you know what are we saying are we just filling a space with uh, and playing it safe all the time 
but they're actually perhaps really maybe never before in in our history there are really really important things to express and talk about in creativity perhaps i'm not saying that everybody should be political or or make social commentary but in a way it's just i mean to me subjectively we're in an incredible time right now in the world you know just so much going on well you know and we're like how are we gonna are we gonna survive because there is so many there's so much polarity and violence and hatred and uptightness and about who's right and wrong and all these things that are just so superficial to what to truth you know because truth doesn't function like that truth is truth is the allowance it's allowing things to just be how they are you know there there are different ways of being and not everyone has to be the same and what you're not the same as me right I'm gonna do something about that you know so like this is what's going on and we're just we're losing touch with our sense of propriety something I don't know what we're losing our sense losing our sense of self we're losing our sense of balance and um so maybe as artists we've got to as you say people are getting jaded let's pull back let's go back to a bit more um tree hugging <laughs> a bit more sort of well, just it's real even grassroots i think one of the things i, I made the phrase said it once i kind of corrected but i still said it you know i think the world's on fire and on, on level you know i'm not even doing doom and gloom saying it's on fire because everyone's so angry about things and this and that and polarizing there's so much more things on right now but it's always been wars and fights but the one of the things that's really fantastic that makes me feel hopeful because i always want to be hopeful is because of the same thing with the technology it's allowing certain governments to do things i'm talking about all governments i'm not even going making stabs at any other anybody in particular the power to do it is because of their <laughs> behind the scenes but you learn that people in countries that you may our governments may be against each other are also on social media like living their days and they're not like i'm not thinking about what our government's doing or I want to come over to America or the Americans. Well, I want to come over to your, your country. We're not mad at you. And they'll actually say, like, we're not part of this. We don't feel like this way in this country. You never heard that before in you know, the 70s or, or war. You know what I'm saying? Now someone's going to get on their phone. They're going to text, like, this isn't our thing. We, we didn't pick this government. Like, you know, like, we're like America. We're like, we did, half of America wants this person. Half of America wants this person. You at least see that there's other. Well, companies. I also think that, um, I think, yeah, and I think governments have stopped. You know whether they, it's a conscious thing or whether it's just the sort of degradation of the system itself and the system needs serious review from a fundamental perspective but i think governments have stopped really serving the people you know and, and it's meant to i mean your whole country your country is completely based on that premise that the government is is for and by the people you know it's meant to be serving and and okay on a local level of course it's still functioning up to a point in that regard but but the kind of government does not seem it seems to be self-serving it seems to be Mm -hmm. about the the corporate interests the military industrial complex of course as you said it's we've always had wars and those wars may or may not be happening because somebody wants to make some money out of it it's all about money it's all about Um, money you know it's always we need need fundamental change because i don't think it's the people i think i mean i've traveled right across America and people are great they're lovely lovely people you know yeah. welcoming warm and and interested in other cultures and, and intelligent and um aware but then there's this whole other thing going on and it's almost like mind control and it's a globalist thing you know it's like you've got to take sides you're either blue or and it's you know blue or 
red, you know. Right. And it's like, well, I, can I not be like a mixture of, no, you've got to be blue or red. Well, if it's, I don't really feel, no, then you're wrong. You know? There's always so, two political parties, you know, it's, I think one of my favorite phrases I heard, and I actually, and then I had the artist on, I talked about it was um, Ian McKay from, uh, from Fugazi and other other bands, you know, yeah. he's always been good. He, 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 cause he lives in Washington too. He said, you know, he always, it's not, the government's not like that. The government is, is a business. I like what you hear, but I thought about it, like, no, he's like, no, it's like a business. You know, it's, they're in the business of this. And he started breaking it down and I had him on the show and I brought it up. It was one of my favorite quotes. And um, we started talking about it. I'm like, man, it hits on. In most, most countries, it's everywhere. It's really just a business. And he started looking, thinking about how they're doing things, even, even fighting each other, the parties and the lobbying. You're like, oh, it really is just a business. Yeah. You know, for those people in that company. It's like, it really is a, just it's a business, but it's a company that's taking care of itself. And then it trickles off. That makes it almost more digestible for me, actually, than, than being so upset because it doesn't. Because then you know, oh, it's where the people. It's not where the people, because that's a business. And yeah, well, it's. Just, I mean, you can. It, that's a direct correlation with the music industry. You know, we could get really upset that labels tend not to be interested in. You know, they tend to be more interested in something that's tried and tested, something that's a little bit more. Right, generic. they're chasing the the one big one that gets yeah, out, and they chase that one until it burns out. Yeah, somebody comes along with something that's really unique and different, and and everyone gets a bit shifty because because you know, let's have another you know band that sounds similar to that band because then we yep. kind of know there's market, and we don't have to develop a market, we don't have to take risks, and so artists can get really upset about all that stuff. But but as you say, if you if you understand that it is a business, then it you can yep. sort of understand. Okay, well, that's understandable. Did I say understand yeah. three times in a row? Then I think I don't even know. I think I blacked out the first or second <laughs> one. Not kidding. Okay. What, so and we, this is a fun conversation. So people are listening, sorry, we may have deviated because I think we're the kind of people that can really really go deep. I'm going to bring us back, of course, a little more for the poor, the poor label here. We're going to talk about the album before we end it. Yes. But um, and definitely when you come back with your new album, I'm going to have you back. We'll, we'll, we'll deep dive some more. But um, with the, the albums coming out, uh, I think it's November 3rd, right? And they're, they're in pre-orders. Right. Uh, the link for the um, where you can get it will be underneath the show on the podcast and on the YouTube channel. Uh, so people can click on it and go right to it and order it or pre-order it. Uh, it's going to be obviously on iTunes and everything else and uh youtube music i'm sure and everything else and there's, um, there's vinyl as well uh double vinyl that's coming out as well which is exciting yeah it's like what 180 gram or something i think it's gonna be so yeah how are you guys doing the singles and stuff and any what kind of other promotion and kind of like virtual videos obviously this is a, an eclectic group of people so you're not gonna do a tour to promote it but the label's got something behind it because you want because you're competing and you got to get something out there for people to be like yeah, you know, uh, it's yes. a single is more of a reminder of the album than it is just the album because you keep hearing it like, oh, I gotta get that album or that single, you know. Yeah, I mean, there's we've had two singles out so far. Sunshine of Your Love was the first one, yep. um, and that's that was uh, Joe Bonamassa singing and playing guitar with Ginger Bake on drums, me on piano, uh, Bernie Marsden on guitar, and Neil Murray on bass, and Abbas Dodu on percussion. And then the second single, um, was White Room with Pete Brown singing and um, with a bunch of us uh, on that record too with Clem Clemson from Humble Pie playing guitar. So yes, I mean, the unfortunate thing about this record is that Pete Brown has passed away this year. Um, Ginger Baker passed away. Um, Bernie Marsden just passed away, who was yeah. such an amazing guy. Um, 
feels so like we're a memoriam sort of, album is what it does at this point now <laughs> we need some holograms at this point you yeah know? um so i think you're right i think the label you know released a couple of singles just to get uh you know um get some movement some traction happening um well, they I should think i mean it's a good really... album and you want the label to make the money yeah, so I mean, I think music. they're sort of, of not everyone's putting out good music. So I'm sorry, you want to support this? Yeah, album no, they're they're, de good. they're developing. You know, I think they're kind of just sort of seeing how things unfold. But we've got these two streams. We've got the album and we've got the documentary. The documentary is already available for streaming. I think in the US, um, there should be a, a link for that as well. Um, I'll check that out myself. I haven't seen that yet. Yeah, there's so, so much out there. Even for someone like me, there's so much out there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So yes, I think I think we'll see how it goes. Um, you know, we've been doing a little bit of uh, publicity over the last month or so. So um, yeah, we'll see. I mean, certainly we'd love people to to check it out. Definitely, I want people to check it out. It's a really good album. I've enjoyed it. I've had pre-listened to it. I've listened to all fifteen tracks. Um, like when I heard acoustic, I got a little anxious. You know, um, <laughs> but, well, because I didn't know what I was getting into. I was like, oh yeah, and then I'm like, oh. Like I just because you just I'm like this could go really quick like, like experimental jazz you just don't know what you're getting into you could tear on brilliance yes. or you could be like oh it's like a high school orchestra actually I shouldn't say it because there's some really good high school orchestras I've heard some great ones yeah. so actually I got I got roll it back actually because because I have <laughs> I've seen some fantastic ones and then actually have them play at Berkeley um a school of music in Boston oh yeah but Berkeley's um great. yeah so so I do have, I do want to add one thing and, and and I gotta say one of my favorite things in the world is is can you share some ginger baker stories or something like experience because he is the craziest person <laughs> i gotta be honest with you i may seem to ask a question i don't usually ask these kind of uh pedestrian questions but nothing makes me smile and, and other musicians will come on and will laugh over certain ginger breaker stories or things he's done because there's something about him that's just so animated what do you want it's a bit of controversy to even, to, to lead us out of the interview it's something fun. no just no, like, I'm kidding, it's I'm funny kidding. even funny no ginger was I love Ginger, you know, uh, I think he's a very misunderstood guy, you know, um, what can I say about him? I think people don't fully understand. He was a, in the very early 60s, it, it's a kind of history, it's um, a tradition of taking heroin. So, you know, he was a registered heroin addict um, very early on in his career because the people he was hanging out with in London um there was a drummer called Phil Seaman and a bunch of other people, which were, they were all jazz musicians. So their heroes were right. the musicians from the forties and the fifties who they grew up listening to. Uh, I don't know, Charlie Parker, famous heroin addict. And, you know, there is that tradition. Okay. I'm going to take lots of heroin and practice right. 18 hours a day for 10 years and become the greatest jazz musician that's ever. And, you know, that sort of became a thing. So Ginger followed that very early on. And then when, and went through a series of bands with my father, um, you know, uh, Alexis Corner, Blues Incorporated, a lot of those early bands that right. predated Creek itself that a lot of musicians went through. So Charlie Watts was the drummer in Alexis Corner's band. And then when he left to join the Stones, he, Ginger, got the job as the drummer in that band. And then they had a band called the Graham Bond Organization, which John McLaughlin was in at one point as well. So and they're all just all kind of... The history is so the, rich there. It's crazy. It's incredible. But when cream got together basically they so my father and ginger had been in a couple of bands together already and fallen out and thrown things at each other on the stage and threatened each other and everything so when 
I believe that it was Ginger that went to Eric Clapton and said, okay, let's put a band together, you know, and Eric said, well, yes, but only if Jack Bruce is on bass. And so Ginger had to come to my dad sort of with his tail between his legs and say, okay, Jack, let's bury the hatchet and let's do this because really they were the cream of the crop and they called themselves the cream. And Well, the energy between those two guys, um, the love hate the, is, is what made them so great. You know what I mean? That was, I think present, a, absolutely an element of that. But one of the, one of the um, provisors of, um, if I use that word twice in this interview, I might have done, I don't know why, but anyway, it's a great word. One of the, one of the aspects to the band forming was that Ginger had to I wish I had a heroin. word bingo card so I could he, mark it off. So you should. Come on. Bingo. Let's get this together. Proviso, <laughs> he's used proviso twice. Thank goodness for editing. Um so um so oh, Ginger <laughs> actually, you know, they said, okay, we'll put this band together, but Ginger, you've got to give up heroin, you know. And so he did. He gave up heroin. And um but by the end of Cream, he'd sort of started taking it again, I think, as as they all kind of saw the end in sight um so i think that drug i think drugs had a lot to do with a lot of those musicians at that point in time and it that even in his documentary at the end though when he got the money he went and bought all those horses like yes. i love how he was always just so out of control I would just, <laughs> yes but I, he was on one on one level he was but on another level he had an innate a, a very intelligent person very aware oh, and I think that um, I mean I spent some some a few couple of times with him where he wasn't irate and angry and gruff and all of those things that people that know about Ginger kind of expect from him. I spent a few times where he was just completely down to earth, normal, ha having a conversation. <laughs> um, but other times he would put, a, and I think it was a front. And I think he didn't. What's the idiom? Uh, he didn't suffer fools gladly. So I think as soon as he could just read somebody, and if somebody was uh, uh, perhaps sycophantic or pretentious or wanted something out of him, he would just go for them, go for the throat in that sense. But if somebody was authentic and didn't act like he was less than Ginger or more than Ginger, you know, I think he really respected people who were just them being themselves and well, that makes sense that feels um, like that would it's but it's a kind of an animalistic thing in that way because i think we're all a bit like that if we're in touch with ourselves we just feel uncomfortable when other people are trying to be manipulative or something and i think that ginger just sniffed that out straight away so he was complex but i have a series of emails from the last five ten years or whatever when i was because he came to play at a tribute that i did for my dad in 2016 so i was messaging him a little bit around mm -hmm. that time and then I would occasionally, you know, if it was his birthday, I'd send him a little happy birthday, Ginger, from me and my mom, Janet, uh, because he knew my Janet from my mom, Janet, from the early right. 60s himself. So, and he was always really pleasant by email, really polite and respectful. Yeah, so. I don't, yeah, I don't always think he was that guy all the time. Like to me, I liked him, where I liked from my cinema, Doc Mary's movies growing up. To me, is he always felt like, obviously, like genius, but he was, he always lived by how he felt. And it wasn't about money. It's like, what do you want to do at the moment? Like, it's like, he was smart. And obviously, he's got to be smart to play the way he played and all the things he did, but he's also his own person. So if he was doing drugs or he bought the horses, like he did, he was in the moment and he was, he was living and it was exciting. 
and breathing. He wasn't so static. But it's the it's the true re, the true rebel is in a but You don't always see that though. Like he's just he was just him. Yeah. No matter. But I mean, the conformity me... conformity for conformity's sake is a really unnatural thing to do. Conformity because it raises the vibration in a collective sense or. You know, there are lots of reasons why we would conform to some kind of system, whether it's a societal system or an idea or whatever. But I think Ginger, for whatever reason, maybe his place in history, who he was as an individual, how he saw the world, he didn't want to conform. And so I think that's what you're perhaps describing. Yeah, I, just, okay, I, I think that's gonna, what it is. I just, I'm, I'm going enjoy to be this kind of uh, like free spirit that's weaving and and defining my own life mm -hmm. and how that life works rather than I've got to fit into that. But then that, that logic was quite a powerful thing within itself. And so people that were around him had to sort of conform to him as well. So well, he did things. It's, and that's what uh, it's, it's not just about cream. And I'm talking about you because I share with you. I was just talking to a musician today and it came up. We were talking about the fact that he's like, he would get himself in, see, not actually doing it, but like, like getting a real nice car. And then while you're leaving the dealership, you just drive into a brick wall or you drive off a cliff because you want to. Like, it's because you're being you're like, you know, it'd be funny. I just got this car. If I just drove it off a cliff now, I just it's just and the humor and the energy of that is just a lot of musicians like that. And to me, it's just that's why I'm tying it in because I could have talked about your dad. Too, I, but I, I, I'm not about. Well, your no, dad I had a friend. Um, I had a friend who actually is sadly passed on now, but he was a very successful music video director and he would get you know i don't know some huge budget to direct uh diana ross or something and right. then he'd like blow it all in one weekend he'd go to all the really expensive <laughs> restaurants buy like a 500 meal and then stub his cigarette out on it and leave and get in a cab and go to a club and just blow it you know buy drugs and whatever and then it's just all gone and then he'd be like coming around borrowing money off people the next day you know? but to the fact like i'd be telling stories about him there's I, something amazing know. about that yeah it's <laughs> yeah. there's a freedom that some people but like, i could never do that I know people, but, right yeah i know people like that but i couldn't share that person's story with somebody else because they don't know it like ginger and someone like the other musicians like that are celebrities everyone knows about it. so it's easy to 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 use it as a focal point to start on your discussion and that's why i go there but um there's something about that it's just there's a freedom there as a human being that it's more about that than even the story but we were just talking about when he just bought the um got the money like the, one of the last shows he needed money and he just like bought like 30 horses or something crazy it's like hilariously like, i don't know why yeah. i love that well, it was the, it. Cre the, the, cream, the cream reunion. Uh, they yeah. made a little bit of money. Um, and yes, he was in South Africa and um, he did. He bought like all these polo ponies and then he was flying people in to play polo with him. You know, I mean, if you've got, if you make like, I don't know well, what they made. If you make three million from, from reforming a huge band like that, you make three or four million or something, and it's quite easy to blow it in six months or a year. I well, would that's imagine. what I'm saying. Like, to even think like he's going to live more than six months. He's already gone through this many, many years, many decades. To know that living that way, yeah. going to go out in a couple months, and you're going to be broke again. But as you say, there's something quite liberating. Like, yeah, we can't take any of you know, hey man, we can't take any of it with us. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, yeah it but is. you just blew it all in six months, man. What are you doing? You know, you could have spaced so, yeah, a little bit to you in a way. Yeah. 
yeah but i mean you know in a, in a way there's a kind of nobility in that sort of oh, behavior great. i mean it's it's ridiculous but it's sort of noble at the same time and guess what a million dollars in uh earning 30 horses is also ridiculous on some level too unless it's for a group so i guess it kind of feels kind of like it all works together for me <laughs> you know hey um, it's horses you know what can you say it is um <laughs> you know and, and i do want to say for people that want listening we didn't talk we didn't talk about your dad i love your dad but i wanted to talk to you about you and the art you know, and maybe someday we can go there. But there's a lot of great interviews with your dad. And there's no disrespect. It's just talking to you. And I've really oh, loved yeah. your music. Well, I'd, lo I'd love to come back and talk yeah. talk with you again. I've got three yeah. minutes till I have to talk to yeah. somebody else. No, now, I do but, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, I just um, want to say thank you for being on the show, man. This is great. Um, oh, well, I want to be, I want to thank you back. so much for your time. You know? Thank you so much, Sean. Have your people reach out when you're, your album and stuff. I'll um, have my people reach out to your people. There's no people for me. It's just me. Okay. If I say people, if I say my people, then it's me. And it gets weird. It's like I'm talking to myself, you know, third person. And then, you know, Sean doesn't like that. So um, at that point, I'm just saying, when you, I'll, 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 I'll email you or someone will email you. If you yeah, absolutely. I, I say, you will know, usually say that, but there's usually another person involved. I always get in trouble because I just go to the artist. When you get close to it, and you have the music, I can listen to it sooner or get the streaming link or whatever. I usually like to listen to it like a month before because I actually listen to the music. Yeah. And like talk about yeah, it, yeah, yeah. unlike some other people. So to me, as yeah. that process, I actually want to break down the music and talk with your yes. album, and it as your album. You know, so. I'd love to. I'd love to. I'd love to do something. Okay. Yeah, let's let's get into some detail, more okay. music next time. Definitely, would love that. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Uh, thank you for being the album. I mean, I, uh, I'll put this far back in. People check out Heavenly Cream, an acoustic tribute to Cream. It's got everybody on it. It's really good. It's not acoustic-y. It's more like analog cream to me. I don't even know how to put it. It's just really good. It's really good. Um, it's fun. Yeah, because you're not going to get more new cream stuff. So it's just kind of a fun, a fun, it's a fun take on it. It's, it's very close to it, but it has some creative sparks and some little extra flavors on it just to shake it up a little bit. Um, and it's out now and click on the links. Thank you for being on the show, man. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sean. Chat again soon.